This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Let's uh, prepare our hearts to receive the sermon by the reading of uh, the scripture. So now is the time to take out your Bible, your pen and your paper, your notebook. Uh, so I will give you some time to do so before I start the scripture reading. Today's uh, Bible's passage is uh, taken from Ephesians chapter 5. So I'll start reading from verse 1. I'll read from the NIV. Verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talks or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But in everything, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Verse 12, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another our reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. I'll now pass the time over to uh, Pastor Andrew Wong, who will uh, share with us God's Word. All right, very good morning to everyone. It's always a joy to gather with God's people and opening up God's Word. So this morning, could I ask that you have your Bible with you, whether it's digital or physical copy, because we will be flipping through the Bible passages together. So it'd be great if you have your Bible in hand. Let's begin this time by asking God to help us. 
Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who is sovereign and in control in a world that is uncertain, where humans, we do not know the future. Father, because you know what has come and what will come, God, you can help us to stand firm. And so today we ask that by your Holy Spirit, that you'll help us to focus on your word, to engage with your word, and by your strength that we can respond to your word. For those of us who are tired, who are weary, who are worried, we pray, God, that you will draw us to you and find strength in you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for your glory alone. Amen. Now, many years ago, I got to experience my very first walking on thick, fresh snow. It was the first time. Uh, it, was, it happened when I was an exchange student in Canada. And during a long weekend, I backpacked with another Singaporean guy to Quebec City in Canada. Now, both of us had never lived in a cold country and we had no idea what to watch out for after a heavy snowstorm. And both of us were very different. We almost had nothing in common except that we were both Singaporeans and we loved Lord of the Rings. Now, I remembered us uh, putting our backpack down after a travel on the first night and then we decided to explore the city by foot in this predominantly French-speaking province. So we try to speak as little as we can because we don't know how to uh, converse. Now, it just happened that when we stepped out of our hostel, it had just snowed and so there were barely any footprints on the quiet street. Now, there were a few street lights in the dark street and occasional public bars that drive past us. And the only thing that reflects light is that fresh coat of snow on the floor, on the street. And as we walk, we started to chat and we get to know each other a bit. And then it happened. My friend suddenly just disappeared. For a moment, I panicked and looked around and wondered where is he and I heard his voice. Then I realized that he had not disappeared, but he was walking right over a snow-covered drain and he fell right into the drain. Now, it was a few meters down, probably two meters or so. But thankfully, he was not hurt. But that night, we immediately learned the importance of walking rightly in a strange world of snow. There's a right path that leads home. There's another which can hurt us very badly. Now, you and I have been on a topic of how Christians should walk in the past week, which can equally be translated as how Christians should live in the NIV Bible that we just read. Now, last week, we were told Christians need to put off the old living and to put on the Christian living. We look at what it means to walk or live godly life within the church and not to give the devil a foot in. No, we are told to walk in the way of Christ's love, to remember the love and sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may live rightly. Now, today's passage continues with the theme of godly living and what it means to live a godly life within the society. And we'll see three kinds of walking or living. I'll just put it on the slides here for us. The first is 
dark living, which is from verse 3 to verse 7. And the second kind of living is light living, verses 8 to 14. And finally, verse 15 to 21 is wise living. So dark living, light living, and the wise living. Now, as Paul turns from living within the church to living within the society and the world in general, he begins with a very strong warning in verses 3 to 7. A warning against living a life that opposes the love we experience in Christ. A warning against being a prodigal child who steps out of his or her loving home into the arms of darkness. It was a warning for Christians not to take part in dark living. Or in Paul's own words in verse 7, this is what he says, do not be partners with them. Now, what does it mean to live a dark life or to partner with those living in darkness? Let's have a look at verse 3 where Paul says this. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now the phrase sexual immorality is actually translated from the Greek word porneia, where we get the word porn. Now it encompasses a whole range of improper sexual activities, including adultery, prostitution, and all kinds of sexual activities outside of marriage. Well, if the way we spend money tells us what is important to us, then the following statistics gathered by Covenant Eye, an American Christian website, is very telling. It says this. It said, in 2006, the estimated revenues for sex-related entertainment business were almost 13 billion in the US. Well, that was 14 years ago, and for US alone, the numbers would be much larger globally. And that is very telling what is lucrative in this entertainment world that we live in. Now, along with sexual immorality, Paul continues saying, or any kind of impurity, as well as greed. Now, the greed here refers to the desire to possess what does not belong to us. The person living in darkness greedily wants more and more of what belongs to others that they have no right for. Now, Paul could have spoken about a variety of dark practices, but he chose sexual immorality as one of the deep-rooted sins in this dark world. And not only in this letter, Paul writes in a similar way in his other letters to the Colossians as well as the Corinthians. Now, perhaps the reason Paul focused on sexual sins is that all other sins are committed outside of the body, but sexual sin is deeply personal and is committed inside the body. And so it is improper for Christians, the holy people of God or the saints, to be sinning in these manners because our bodies no longer belongs to us alone. Because God had paid a hefty price to save us and to make us His. 
our body belongs to God. In, in Ephesians, we are told Christians are sealed by God's Holy Spirit and God himself dwells in his church in us through the Spirit. We are the temple of God. Now just imagine with me for a moment, you're healthy and strong and you respond to a plea from a dying relative. He pleaded for you to donate part of your lung to save him. And you did a check, it matches. But when the man recovers from the operation, the first thing you saw him do was to light up his packet of cigarette, smiling to himself, saying, what a lucky man I am. What would you have done? You probably would have gone up to him, touching the wound on your side and said, hey, it is by my wounds that you are saved so that you can have a second chance. Live differently. Now to be called God's holy people, verse 3, comes with a proper way of living. And it should not, says Paul, have even a hint of dark living. Now, Paul's concern is not only in our actions, but our thoughts and speech. As he continues in verse 4, he says this, Nor shall there be obscene, foolish talk or cause joking. This is out of place. Now, a Bible commentator uh, noted that these words in verse 4, they are unique in this passage and relates to the verbalization of the sexual immorality that those in darkness are living and thinking about. So whether it is with our school friends, if you're still in school, our colleagues, our gaming or our army friends, it is improper for us to participate in conversations that involve obscenity, foolish talks, or cause joking. And so what has become norm in these days, whether it's conversation, movies, even stand-up comedies in Netflix, they are improper for us to indulge in. Now, I want to take a moment to speak specifically to our younger brothers and sisters who might be still in school, in primary school, secondary school, or various kind of schooling. Can I say this? That there's nothing cool about obscene and foolish talks or cause joking. There are plenty of ways to be cool, to be disciplined is cool, to be kind and encouraging to your friends is cool. But foolish talk and cause joking, they are not cool. Not cool at all. The same applies for us who are not so young in our workplace. In fact, our Lord Jesus said so himself in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. If you put your thumb on Ephesians and you are fast enough, you could flip to Matthew chapter 12 with me and listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. If you're there, let me read it to us. Jesus said, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good store in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil store in him. 
But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Now, as God's children, we are called to speak what is good that comes out from our hearts. We are called to speak truths in love. So turning to obscene, foolish, coarse joking is the very opposite of what we should be doing. Now, the question is, what is the practical litmus test to whether our actions, our thoughts, our words are appropriate? Well, there seems to be a help right there in the middle of Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. If you flip back to Ephesians 5, 3 to 5, see whether you can find that there is one thing out of all the negative that is good. There's one thing that's good that's mentioned out of all the negatives from verses 3 to 5. Take a look at it and see whether you can find it. See if you can notice, what is that one thing that can help Christians deal with that living? Well, the answer is in verse 4, isn't it? And the word is thanksgiving, to give thanks to God. So here's the litmus test. Can we give thanks to God for the relationships we have, perhaps in the company, or the Netflix we watch, or the website we surf, or the conversations and jokes we make. Because if we can give thanks to God, let's give thanks to God wholeheartedly. But if we can't, then we need to ask, why can't we give thanks? Perhaps this week, Let's give it a try to give thanks for as many things that comes our way as possible. And then pause or even pray to God's Spirit to help us. Help us to give thanks if there are things that we should give thanks but we didn't. Or more so to correct us if there are things that we should not be involved in and we can't give thanks. Now, verses 5 to 6 then brings in the consequence of dark living, and they are not pretty at all. Listen to Paul's warning in verses 5 and 6. Let me read that to us. Look at verse 5 and verse 6 with me. For of this you can be sure. He repeats the same three words. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Can we see what are the consequences of that living? The first is there is no inheritance in God's kingdom, verse 5. And verse 6 says, God's wrath comes upon them. Now, these consequences are certainly true for those who reject God and who do not acknowledge God. They do not have Jesus as their Lord and Savior and who embrace the dark living. But here's the question for Christians who are reading this passage. How about Christians? Do these consequences apply to professing Christians? That's a question that I hear in my Bible study group. I wonder if it was in yours. Now, it's an important question that we may want to engage with carefully. So I just want to take a few minutes 
to pause here and take a sidetrack to think about this question. Do these consequences in verses 5 to 6 apply to professing Christians? Meaning, can Christians actually lose their salvation as Paul gave this warning? Well, this is what we do know from the Bible. I've got three points, short points here for us. The first thing is this, that God's chosen people, they will not lose salvation and inheritance. We hear this in Ephesians chapter 1, because we were told in chapter 1 that it is God who had chosen his people before creation. It is God who predestined his people for adoption to sonship through Jesus. It is God who makes his people and marks his people with a permanent seal, his own Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing we know. Those who are chosen will not lose salvation. The second thing we do know is this, that God's chosen ones can fall into sin. We have been told this in chapter 4, verse 30. It says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the Holy Spirit does not leave God's people anymore, but He grieves when we sin against God. In fact, we read a precious verse or passage in 1 John 2 that gives both the command not to sin and God's help if we fail and we do sin. Listen to these words as I read 1 John 2. If you've got quick fingers, you can flip with me as well. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. I want to read this to us. Listen to this. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there we have it. There's a command not to sin, but Christ is there to help us when we fall. Now, our ability to fall into sin does not cause God to say, we can sin a little bit because the command is clear, we must not sin. But when we sin, Christ is there to plead on our behalf and God will forgive our sins. And this means that even the worst sinner who repents can find forgiveness in Jesus. But before we get too comfortable and looking at these two points and say, then I can sin, here's an important warning from the Bible, and I want us to take note of this. The Bible also tells us this, that not everyone who calls Jesus Lord belongs to Him. Now, there are a few verses I put out on the screen. I want to read to us Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is the words of our Lord Jesus himself. Let me flip to Matthew chapter 7. You can flip with me to chapter 7 and we'll read verse 21. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never 
knew you away from me, you evil doers. Now, there are some people in this world, according to the Bible, who are happy to live unrepented double lives. They are very happy to call Jesus Lord, but they are even more comfortable living in darkness and they have no intention of repenting. To this, Jesus says they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when Paul sends this letter, he's sending to the churches in Ephesus and surroundings, it is to Christians, professing Christians, but it is also a warning lest those who profess things that they can do anything they want. So the reality on this, this side of life is that there will always be sheep and goat in God's church because Jesus says that himself. But Jesus also said this in John 10, verse 27. He said this, that my sheep listens to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And when that happens, no one snatched them out of my hand. So let us not get comfortable with that living, but to take heed of God's word in verse 7, that we will not be partners with darkness. So the question now comes back, how should Christians live? Well, it will be the very opposite of dark living, which is light living in verse 8. So let's come back to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I hope your fingers are not too tired yet. Ephesians 5. Let me read verse 8 for us. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So here it is, Paul says, in contrast to the sons of disobedience back in verse 6, here Christians are called the children of light. Now, in fact, Stephen Ball, who wrote a really good commentary on Ephesians he actually gave this very interesting point. He suggested that the background to the saints being light, it actually comes from the creation account of Genesis 1. What Ball means is this, that those whom God calls out of darkness, they are now light that separated from darkness. Now the church reveals the new creation where light and darkness are once again clearly divided from each other. And the reason this is possible is because Jesus, the light of the world, has come and made us light. Bohr explains that we are not light because we do good things or because of our karma, but rather we are light because of our union with Christ. And verse 8 puts it this way, we are light in the Lord. Now, that is a huge implication and a huge motivation why we are called to light living rather than dark living. When we live as the children of light, we actually reveal the fruit of the light, consisting of all goodness and righteousness and truth. We show what is objectively good in this world. Now, we've already heard this in in various forms in earlier chapters. We're told that we are to do good that God has prepared for us, chapter 2, verse 10, or just previous chapter in chapter 4, 
that we need to put off our old and put on our new to put off falsehood and to speak truth in love. So in fact, verse 10 here, right here, tells us that living as children of light also involves finding out what pleases the Lord. Now here's the question for us. What does it mean to find out what pleases the Lord? Well, as we grow in our knowledge of God and the depth of Christ's love for us, we will ask ourselves very often this question. Do our actions, do our actions please the Lord? This is the extension of avoiding partnership with darkness. We are to also ask, how can we please the Lord? Is there an opportunity to share the gospel or to witness at workplace? Now, if you are someone who is working in a difficult environment, perhaps um, there are words that are nasty going all the time, perhaps we might begin our morning praying that God will guard our lips, that we'll avoid cause jokings, so that when we speak words of truth graciously, people will listen. Now, I remember many years ago, I had colleagues, colleagues who like to queue up to buy 4Ds. I don't know if you have colleagues who like to do that. They like to queue up to buy 4Ds, especially when the prize money goes really high. And they'll ask me if I'd like to chip in because we are good friends. And he says, you want to chip in so that we can all retire together when we win the top prize. No, I really like these colleagues because they, they watch out for me. But my reply would be this. I'll always say this. I'm probably going to lose the few dollars that I chip in. But I'm sure I'll please my wife if I use that same money to buy her flowers. Now, obviously, I have someone that I wanted to please more than the 4Ds. Well, over the years, it turns out that my wife doesn't really like flowers as much as I thought. But she actually appreciated my effort. It pleased her. And of course, over the years, I've learned more of what actually pleases my wife besides flowers. Now, here's the thing. You and I, we all know what pleases our spouse, our children, our parents, our good friends. Now, all the more being Christians, we should be eager to please our Lord, whose love for us is deeper than our ability to understand. It is not difficult to find out what pleases the Lord because they are all in the Bible. And with God's Spirit giving us wisdom, we'll grow to know our Lord more as we turn to His Word. And what we need to do now, actually, is to ask the question often in our daily lives, whether it's big decisions or the small actions. We need to ask, what will be pleasing to the Lord in this situation? Now, here's another thing that Paul goes on to mention about the children of light. Look at verse 11. The children of light not only refuse darkness, they actually expose them. Now, here's the question. What does it mean for the children of light to expose darkness? Well, let's rewind a little bit. For those of us who are 
Christians not, or we did not come from Christian family, but we, we got to know the Lord when we we're older, this becomes even more obvious because when we come to be a Christian, we first recognize our sins, that we need to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. And our loyalty change, and so do our priorities. But guess what? When you look around, when I look around, our environment remains exactly the same. We're still living in the same world, perhaps even in the same company, in the same house, but we can no longer be chameleons because they are now objective truths as Christians. You know what, chameleons? Chameleons are those reptiles that can change their colors to suit their environment. They are very good at blending in and not sticking out as a sore thumb. But here it's telling us Christians can no longer be chameleons because we cannot call sin pleasure. We cannot call darkness all right. And this means there will be times when our refusal to partner in dark living exposes what is described by God as fruitless deeds of darkness. Certain lifestyles, certain actions, certain conversations, certain entertainments. In fact, Paul calls them shameful things done in secret. Now, while Paul, he did not want to go into details, the very fact that they are done in secret suggests that whatever is being done, they are not compatible with light at all. And you know what happens when we stand up as a sore thumb? Two things can happen for children of light, for Christians. The first is persecution because we disrupt their comfort and we are a sore thumb to them. We are a pain to their back. And we see that in the Bible often and we experience it as well. But the second, which is mentioned here, is this. It's very interesting. It says that those who are exposed by the light becomes like themselves. No, they are like those who go to a restaurant, you, you give them a menu, they look at the menu, and then they'll point to the other table and say, um, I'd like to have what they're eating. Now, that might well be the experience of some of us when we become Christians, that the life of certain Christians got us interested in finding out about the God that Christians believe in. And how we live and the gospel we proclaim can actually wake the spiritually dead when they're exposed. And that is why Paul says right there in verse 14, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now God uses his church to wake up the spiritually dead. The Christ who have shined on us might shine on them as well. And so as we come to finally the concluding passage in today's um, whole passage in verses 15 to 21, Paul now wants to just lay out a series of practical ways to walk. He wants us to be very careful in choosing what is right. And so the first choice or the first way that he wants us to think about is to choose between wise living and unwise living. Verse 15, and Paul says, choose wise living. The unwise, this is how they live. They live oblivious of God's wrath that's coming on them. 
Now, God's wrath is like an oncoming tsunami. And just before the tsunami strikes, you know, you know how it goes because it happened years ago, that the shoreline gets drawn back even a hundred, a few hundred meters. And then the seabed was exposed. There are even marine creatures. There are fishes all over. But those who are unwise, who are oblivious, instead of fleeing, you know what they do? They rush towards the fishes lying on the ground thinking that they have striked some treasures. But by the time they see the tsunami, it is way too late. And such is God's coming wrath. But not so the wise. Paul says the wise, they see that the days are evil and so they make every opportunity to shine brightly as Christ's church. They shine and like a siren warning people to turn back, to turn back. And as the church shines, they proclaim the siren for repentance that people may rise from their spiritual death and turn back and run to God. So Paul says to the children of light, choose wise living. Now the second is between foolishness and knowing God. This is similar to the first, perhaps at a personal level. And again, Paul says this. He says, do not be foolish, but seek to understand God's will. Now is not a time to waste our lives in folly, but to seek after God's will. Now, my children were just practicing their Mandarin just before uh, home-based learning began. They were practicing last week and they were practicing this Chinese phrase, yi zayin. For those of you who know Chinese, do you know what that means? Yi zayin, meaning in a blink of an eye. And they will say, in a blink of an eye, we're 11. And then they look at me, in a blink of an eye, you're getting old. In a blink of an eye, our generation will be gone. No, in the same way, Paul is really saying, in a blink of an eye, all of this will be over. So make every opportunity to shine and choose to know God's will. And with that, he comes to the final, the third and the final um, choosing. And this is where we close. And he says to choose between two spirits. The first spirit, comes in a bottle form, we call it wine. If we overdose and we get drunk, we start to lose control of our minds and our bodies and we end up sinning against God. Now, Paul didn't say that Christians can't drink, but he says, do not get drunk. But he says the better spirit to have is the spirit of God himself where we are filled with God's spirit. He takes control of us and we will build up the church, verse 19. We will give thanks to God, verse 20. We will submit to one another because of our reverence for Christ, verse 21. Now, this is how God's Spirit helps us. Look at verse 19. Horizontally, He enables us to build each other up with Scripture, with psalms and hymns and songs. And in many places and generations, where literacy is limited, people remember God's word and scriptures by singing them, by singing scriptures and truths to one another. Now, when one of us becomes gravely ill and if we 
do end up lying in the hospital bed, unable to speak. We go to our brothers and sisters, we speak psalms of comfort, we sing songs to strengthen them. And not only horizontally do we do that, but also vertically in the midst of it that we also make music from our hearts to our Lord, giving thanks to God, the Father. So instead of being self-centered and walking the, the path of darkness, we submit to one another our reverence for Christ because we love Christ and so we love each other. Isn't that an amazing picture of being filled with God's Spirit, allowing Him to lead us? Because God's Spirit helps us to speak and sing His words. So this is the wise living as we live as children of light, not as partners of darkness. Now we'll talk more about submission next week. But as I close, I just wanted to share with you a story or actually an event that has happened recently that is in, is in my mind and perhaps in many of yours as well. You know, I can't help but remember our dear sister, Jessie, who has just passed away recently. She had shown me what is wise living. Now, she was clearly one who was filled with God's spirit. This is how it goes. During the last week of her life and during her funeral week, I've heard so many testimonies of her quiet faith and her wise living. How she prioritized God's word every day without fail to read it. How she enjoys just listening to Christian songs that reminds her of Jesus. How she was memorizing Bible verses in Romans and sharing with her family on WhatsApp while she was in the hospital itself. In fact, never once did I hear her blame God for her fall or her two surgeries. In fact, the first few words she actually said to me on the 12th day of her hospitalization when I went to visit her, then again, she said this to me. She said, God is good. God is good. And then she explains, for this is the first time after 12 days that she could finally go to the toilet and have a proper shower. No, she never fails to thank God for her family and for her church, and she did not blame God for what happened. No, it was very hard to actually ignore her faith whenever I visit her, because although she struggled to walk because of the fall, she actually showed me what it looks like to walk wisely as the children like. Although she had a physical fall and she passed away, yet she was held up by God's spirit and she never fell spiritually. So dear brothers and sisters, friends, what our dear sister Jessie left for her church, which is us, is a reminder and a testimony once again what it means to live wisely, to make every opportunity to, to shine and to understand God's will and to be filled with God's spirit. May God help us and strengthen each of us to do so. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Andrew.
for sharing with us uh, God's word and as well as expounding on Paul's letter to the Ephesian church with practical living as uh, God's chosen people. So we now have uh, our second breakout session um, and uh, you can discuss and ref on two reflective questions that's going to be flashed out on the screen. So the first question is, how are we to avoid being partners with the world while living in it? And second question is, how and are we careful and wise in how we live? What can we do this week? Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.